Welcome, those of you that are on Facebook, welcome. Uh, tonight we find ourselves in Romans chapter 8, verses 17 and 18. Uh, for a little bit of context, I'm going to read from 12 to 18, and then we'll pray. So then, brothers, we are not obligated to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you are going to die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. All those led by God's Spirit are God's sons. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies together with our spirit that we are God's children. And if children, this is tonight's verse, also heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, seeing that we suffer with him so that we may be also be glorified with him, for I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is going to be revealed to us. Let's pray. Father, as we come this evening, we thank you again for an opportunity to open your word. We ask that you would open our hearts and our minds to the things that you have for us. And Father, that you'd teach us the things we need to learn and prepare us for the things that you have for us. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Okay, so we're still dealing with uh, the Holy Spirit in Romans chapter 8. This is the Holy Spirit and our guaranteed glory. And I didn't put it on there, but I believe this is part one. We'll see a little bit more of this as we go along. So notice in uh, 17a, uh, we are heirs of glory. 17 says, and if children, then heirs. Uh, the emphasis here is closely related to their adop- adoption. Remember last week we talked about uh, adoption, we are made part of the family of God. It's God's choice to do so. Uh, he does everything to make it possible. And in so doing, uh, we take on full responsibilities and privileges of a normal family member. And so if we're adopted, we're children. And that's where it starts. And if children, uh, also heirs. Notice uh, This does not carry the idea of possibility or doubt, but reality and causality. Uh, When we use words like if, uh, the idea is possible, maybe not. Well, when you get to the scripture and start looking at the Greek, uh, sometimes the if is actually a since. And that's the idea here. Uh, So it's not talking about possibility or doubt, but... And since, uh, and, and since children also heirs, it's that idea of reality and causality. Uh, it is better translated here because. <clears throat> so, because all believers have the leading of the Spirit, that's talked about in verse 14, and his witness, verse 16, they are indeed children of God and thereby heirs also. That, that would be the idea of the context and the and the verse. The word heirs, well, in Acts 26, 18, it says, to open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Now, a couple things I'd like you to see in that verse. Who opens your eyes and turns you from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, that you may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance. If you are spiritually dead, do you do it? No. This is a work of God in a spiritually dead person so that once they see, they do make a decision based on what is evident to them. Uh, Again, it's one of those things where uh, people kind of get hung up on the free will and the sovereignty of God issue. All you got to do is read the Bible. Uh, It it allows for both, okay? But we see that God's the initiator. The second thing I want you to see here is uh, that you may receive forgiveness and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. So whole point being is, I think Christianity, somewhere in the rush, they, they kind of all got boiled down to being forgiven of your sins and going to heaven. And when you read the New Testament, 
there's a few more things involved in the whole process. Uh, I was explaining to my Sunday school class again this morning that uh, heaven, if you think about it, is really, it's a layover. Uh, If we're going to fly down to Brazil, we're going to land in either Atlanta or Miami. Uh, A couple times uh, they thought about going to Houston, but uh, why do that? Uh, So you, you go down there and you land in those two cities and you sit there all day long. That's your layover. And then you hop on another plane and fly down to Brazil. Uh, Heaven is kind of like the layover because heaven is not our eternal destination. We are coming back with him where he is going to set up his kingdom here and we're going to rule and reign with him. So it's not about going to heaven. Yes, forgiveness of sins is really, really great and important and stuff like that, but there's so much more than just that. Yeah, it's uh, getting in the door, right? Uh, So notice uh, uh, Paul speaks to Romans, Jews, and Greeks about Roman adoption in our previous passage. In verse 15, whereby the Father chooses how the inheritance is distributed. There we go. I I always want to put the emphasis on the wrong syllable on that uh, word there. Uh, In Jewish tradition, though, See, Paul, being a Roman, uh, Roman citizen, speaking to Roman citizens, talks about adoption. We talked about that last week. But at the same time, God's people, Jewish, and many of these people would have been Jewish that were in this church, uh, he is also giving them the concept from their point of view. In Jewish tradition, the eldest son gets a double portion. How often did that not work out the way it was supposed to? Okay, Uh, notice, but the father can also determine who is worthy. And the examples I give you there uh, is uh, Isaac when it comes to Jacob and Esau, and because Esau was born first. And then uh, Jacob, when he was dealing with his 12, uh, part of the blessing went to Judah because of what Judah did on Benjamin's behalf. And the rest of the blessing the double blessing actually went to Joseph, which was number 12 out of 13. So all of them had blown it, and uh, the father determined. So that, that's the concept of the double inheritance. Uh, notice believers are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. How do I know this? Once again, Scripture, Romans 4.11. And he, Abraham, received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of the faith which he had while still uncircumcised, that he might be the father of all those who believe, though they are uncircumcised, that righteousness might be imputed to them also. Galatians 3.29. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Galatians 4, 7. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. And of course, those two uh, last verses there are in the same uh, book written by the same man. And Abraham is a big deal when it comes to that whole situation. So we are heirs of glory. Uh, letter B, the, our source of glory, is found in 17b. It says, heirs of God. So the Heavenly Father is the source of glory that we're going to experience in the future. Notice, uh, the glory is only His to give. In Colossians 1.12, it says, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be the uh, partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. He's the one that did it all, okay? Uh, Colossians 3.24, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ. Uh, And then, of course, uh, not an afterthought. Very often, uh, adoption is looked at as a a second-class person in the family. And as we pointed out last week, the person that's adopted under Roman tradition could actually be the progenitor of the family line from that point forward. They uh, could get 90% of the uh, family's estate if the other, if the real son uh, was not a, a good son. And so uh, this whole concept of us being 
heirs is not an afterthought. Matthew 25, 34 says, Then the king will say to those on his right hand, this is the uh, division of the sheep and the goats, uh, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. So this kingdom and those that were going to inherit it, uh, it was all determined a long time ago. Ephesians 1.11 says, In him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. So again, in him we have obtained an inheritance. Um, number two, the value of the inheritance is determined by the one who bequeaths it. Okay. Uh, normally, as we get older, we uh, ha- go to a lawyer or get to legal Zoom or something like that, and we uh, develop a will. And within that will, we tell how we want everything divided. Uh, some families, you know, here it is. We're gonna I got five kids. We're just gonna divide it evenly among the kids. Let them fight over it after you know, I'm gone. It's no big deal. Others, other families. Can like so and so disappointed me so bad he gets nothing, and then these three kids can fight over it or that kind of a thing. Uh, well, that's the idea. The one who is giving the inheritance determines how much everyone gets. So it goes on to say, uh, let me see, seventeen uh, B. <clears throat> Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. Now, the reason why I have a couple of Greek words here is, first of all, the word for heir is kleronomos, uh, a sharer by lot, an inheritor, a possessor, an heir. And then letter B, inheritance, kleronomia, uh, Heirship, a patrimony, or a possession, an inheritance. I wanted you to see that just like in English, these words are related to each other. And notice, God is the inheritance. You could say his kingdom is the inheritance, but in reality, it's all about him. It's not about what position we have in the kingdom or, oh boy, I get to do this and they don't or anything like that. It's, it's about him. Notice in Psalm 73, 25, it says, Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is none upon the earth that I desire besides you. Lamentations three twenty four, The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I hope in him. Revelation 21.3, And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. If you go back to uh, Jeremiah 31, uh, 31 to 34, and Ezekiel 36, 25 through 27, one of the things God does in the new covenant is they will be my people and I will be their God. No one's going to have to say, hey, know the Lord because they're all going to know me. This is a pretty important part of the whole thing because if you look at the history of Israel, did they all know him? I I mean, we even have a chapter that talks about they all came out of Egypt. They all were baptized into Moses. They all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink. And yet, most of them died in the wilderness because they didn't know him, okay? Uh, So the idea that God is the inheritance is uh, a big deal if you want to get technical. Notice, uh, we will be bearers of his image forever. 1 Corinthians 15, 49. And as as we have borne the image of the man of dust, Adam, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly man, Jesus Christ. 1 John 3, 2. Beloved, now we are children of God. And it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. I don't know about you, but there's just a a little bit of excitement about that. Okay? Uh, again, we talk about you guys being bald when we get to heaven because God only made a few perfect heads on the rest he put hair. Uh, the reality is, is that has nothing to do with it. We are going to be sinless. This mortal puts on immortality. This corrupted puts on incorruptibility. There will never be, quote unquote, another temptation. 
We will always do that which is pleasing to God. We'll always have that attitude right where he's God and I'm not. And we sit there and say, I don't think I'm God. No, but we twist God into an image that's acceptable to us, and it's amazing how much like us he looks. Oh, so we're going to be his uh, image bearers forever. How about uh, being rich in uh, 2 Corinthians 8 9? For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. I think the, the thing that gets me about this verse is we're already rich and we don't even realize it. The, the bank account that we have access to, the grace of God, the power of the Holy Spirit, everything that we need for life and godliness, we, we kind of, we tap into it once in a while. Most of the time we're sitting there saying, God, what are you doing? Why are you doing this to me? It's kind of like, you got everything you need. It's just a matter of going to the right place to get it. And, and we don't even understand it. But again, once again, when we're glorified, no temptation, no sin, always able to do that which God calls us to do in that situation. So we are, uh, we will be rich. We are rich, but uh, we haven't got a clue about that yet. And then number three, being one with Christ as he is with the Father. In John 17, the high priestly prayer of Jesus, uh, verse 22, he says, and the glory which you gave me, I have given them that they may be one just as we are one. And, and if you continue to read in that passage, it's uh, you and me and me and them. And uh, the idea is this communion that's unbreakable. Uh, that is going to be full. Uh, we're going to see the full potential of that someday, even though it exists now. But we still live in this body. It's still uh, difficult to totally understand that whole thing. So God is the source of the glory that uh, we're going to experience someday. Let us see the extent of that glory as found in uh, 17c. Uh, and if children also heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, seeing that we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. So the extent of that glory, we are joint heirs with Christ. Christ is the heir of all things, according to Hebrews 1-2, it says, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. So we know that he owns it all. He's going to uh, take possession of that which is his. Come on in, notes on the back, uh, and uh, we get to uh, be a part of that. Uh, notice being joint heirs, we are to inherit all that he receives. Ephesians 1.3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us, notice that's a past tense. He's already blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And then going back to 111, in him also we have obtained an inheritance being predestined. A lot of people don't like that word, predestined. You know what the word predestined means? Predetermined. You know who it applies to? Only believers. Okay, now we can talk about election. God chose people from before the foundation of the world and all that kind of stuff. But the word predestined, always in reference to believers. Notice what we're predestined to here. Being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. What were we predestined to? Before that, we have obtained an inheritance. This is what God has determined beforehand to do. We're going to have an inheritance. Okay, uh, so we are joint heirs. We are to inherit all that he receives. Now, that doesn't mean we just get to get it and go willy-nilly. He, he's still in charge. We're going to rule and reign with him. And again, being glorified, being perfect at that point, we're not going to be going off on our own. We're always going to be doing the will of the Father, just like Jesus did when he was here. So that brings us to number two under letter C, 
earth math compared to heavenly math. This is not like new math compared to old math, okay? Uh, notice earth math, each, each child would get an equal share, right? I have five kids divided up evenly. Uh, that doesn't always happen that way. Heavenly math, each child receives the same inheritance. Now, I don't, I'm not going to read uh, Matthew 20, verses 1 to 16, but this is where uh, a guy has a vineyard. And he goes out early in the morning and he finds some day workers. They, they came from Mexico, but they're here legally now. Uh, that's a joke. Thank you. I appreciate that. Wow. Uh, and, and he was at Home Depot when he picked them up. He brings them back to the vineyard and says, you know, you guys work for me. I'm going to give you a, a day's wage for a day's work. Uh, a few hours later, he goes back to Home Depot, had to get something. Uh, I don't know about him, but every time I do a job, I have to go to Lowe's like five times, okay? And that's exactly what happened to this guy. He goes back, and he sees more guys hanging out. I guess, okay, you guys come and work for me, and I'll give you what is right. And then he goes back a few hours later, and there's more guys there. Come and work for me. I'll give you what's right. And he goes back at 5 o'clock in the afternoon. The workday is over at 6 what are you guys doing here? Come and work for me. I'll give you what is right. And at the end of the day, he gets them all in a line and he starts paying them. And he starts with the guys that came last and he gives them a day's wage. And then by the time we get down to the guys that worked all day long, 12 hours, he gives them a day's wage. And they get upset. It's kind of like, you gave him a day's wage, he only worked an hour. He goes, uh, excuse me. What did I say I was going to give you? A day's wage. Did I give you a day's wage? Uh-huh. What I do for that guy is none of your business, basically. If I want to do that, I can do that. And so uh, the same thing is true. You know, the first person that ever was saved is going to get the inheritance. The last person that gets saved going to get the inheritance. Okay? It's not a matter of, ooh, I get more than him because I've been saved longer or anything like that. Uh, so notice, all that Christ receives by divine right, we, were, we'll, we will receive by divine grace. Grace has become an important word. If, it, if it's not an important word for you yet, keep studying, okay? Because it is a fantastic word. We're not just talking about God's riches at Christ's expense. That's how we like to use the acrostic and all that. We're talking about grace to do power to do whatever God wants me to do. Grace to endure. How do people give up their life when they're being tortured and suffering? How, how do they get, I don't know about you, but someone torture me. If there's an opportunity, my flesh goes, come on. Okay. Uh, and yet Christians will stand there and be attacked by lions because that's what Rome did or have their heads removed like uh, the family over in China, or Christians in the Middle East that know to be a Christian or to tell someone else about Christ means death. How do they do that? The grace of God. That's how they do that. So uh, we, we inherit by divine grace that which Christ receives by divine right. And then number two, inheritance is not equal to rewards. Uh, inheritance is given based on being part of the family. We're, we've been adopted. That's why we get the inheritance. Rewards are given based on service. Okay? In 1 Corinthians 3, 10 to uh, 15, uh, Paul says, According to the grace of God which was given to me, as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, and another builds on it. But let each one take heed how he builds on it. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Christ, uh, Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stone, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become clear, for the day will declare it, uh, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test each one's, notice, not the quality of whether or not they're saved, it will test their work, okay, of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. Notice, 
rewards are based on how we serve Christ here. We serve Christ in the spirit and do the things that God wants us to do. We're building on the foundation. Wood, hey, I mean, gold, silver, and precious stone. If we're not uh, walking in the spirit, hey, everybody, look at me. Aren't I something? Uh, that kind of a thing. Wood, hay, and stubble. Goes through the fire, burns up. There's no reward for what I did for me. There is reward for what I did for him. Okay? Inheritance is not like that. Everyone gets that belongs to the family gets the inheritance. Now, the reason why I felt as though I needed to make that differentiation as I w- we were doing a book study, oh, I think it was a family book study on uh, within the well-known author's book, he was confused about rewards and inheritance to the point where if someone had wasted their life here, they would get no inheritance. Kind of like, that's not what the Bible says, Okay. Uh, so I, I, I want to make sure you understand inheritance is because we're part of the family. Reward is based on how you're going to be living, how you're going to be serving Christ. Okay. Number three, looking forward to our inheritance. Uh, what good does that do me here? Well, let's take a look. Our life here. If you are tied to this world, you will not be looking forward to the second coming. And, of course, most people immediately think of young people that are thinking about getting married here in a few months. And, you know, they want to be able to experience getting married and having kids and and fighting with their spouse. No, that's not what they're looking forward to. Uh, (laughs) um, All of the stuff that goes with marriage and uh, being parents and all that kind of stuff. And so we sit there and say, oh, shame on you. You should be looking forward to Jesus' coming. Oh, shame on you. Stop telling them that. Okay, that is part of what God has offered us here in this world, and they ought to experience it. But that takes second place to I'm looking forward to seeing Jesus. You know, for the most part, I'm a relatively healthy person, um, like a donkey, strong back, you know, hard head like a rock. Uh, uh, that's another thing altogether. Uh, but relatively healthy person. Yeah, I got my aches and pains and. I recognize that, and I'm sure it's going to get worse as we go along, right, Sandy? (laughs) Uh, But I'm not looking forward to seeing Jesus because, oh, then I'll get a new body. No, I'm looking forward to seeing Jesus because then I'm going to be what God has called me to be. I'm never going to do it wrong again. Hallelujah. And it's not as though I'm doing things wrong now. It's just I live in this world. Okay, so uh, if you're tied to this world, you're probably not looking forward to the second coming. You're, uh, you, uh, you live your life according to earthly desires and motivations. Uh, again, I, I know I brought this up before, but Lynn was reading through a book dealing with uh, humility. And uh, when they got to the chapter on emotions. And of course, how many times do you see the word emotions in the Bible? Well, for the most part, probably not, not much. Uh, but he points out that the, in the Bible, you're going to see uh, words like desires. You're going to see passions, lusts. And, and we have a tendency to relate all lusts and passions to sexual immorality. That's the basest area where it seems to show itself the most. The reality is passions, desires, that's what lust is, is a strong desire, shows itself in your emotions, okay? Uh, When the kids aren't behaving and you're walking in the flesh, that lack of good behavior will show itself by you going, how many times I got to tell you, right? Well, maybe you're not like that, okay? But that's that's emotion, that's passion, that's lust, desire, okay? Okay? Uh, what does the Bible say? Set your mind on things above. Well, people that are tied to this world, they are living their life according to earthly desires and motivations. They want to make just enough money. They, do, they don't want to be bad necessarily, but they want other people to recognize how good they are. Or, or, or. There's all kinds of uh, ways that can play out. And then, of course, fruitfulness and obedience is hindered. Um, I think of Samson. Samson is, is such a great story for lots of reasons. Number one, how big was Samson? Did Samson look like Arnold? 
Or did he look like a kind of a normal Jew? I don't know. I do think that chances are he wasn't a small guy. No offense intended, Pastor. Uh, (laughs) Okay, I think he might have been a little bit more muscular, but it wasn't his strength that was demonstrated. The Spirit came over him and boom, right? Carries a set of gates from a city 26 miles because they set him up. (laughs) I'll show you, carry your city gates. What's so important about that? Anybody can get into the city now. City's unprotected, okay? Uh, But Samson spent most of his life tied to this world. Uh, Here's the the oath you're going to keep. You're never going to cut your hair. You're never going to touch a dead thing. You're not going to drink wine. What did he do? Well, we know he touched dead things because he got some honey out of a, a lion's carcass. Chances are when he's hanging out with all those girls, they, woo-hoo, uh, he was probably drinking some wine, okay? And then he gives in to some girl, dummy, uh, and gets his hair cut off, okay? So he did everything wrong, and yet we read about him in chapter 11 of Hebrews. Now, why is that important? His reward, uh, I mean, his fruitfulness and his obedience was hindered because he was tied to this world. Hmm. So, what about someone that has an eternal perspective? Well, first of all, they know their true citizenship is in heaven. Philippians 3.20 says, For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, wh- one of the things that politics has done uh, to many people in the church, and believe me, I, I know I talk about politics, um, sometimes it gets me passionate <laughs> but uh, the reality is, is uh, yeah, we happen to be citizens of this country uh, for the purpose of living here. But the reality is, is I have a citizenship that is, there's a higher throne, as the song says. And so uh, we're, our focus really needs to be there. And so the purpose that has an etern- the person that has an eternal perspective, they know that their true citizenship is in heaven. Notice on the top of the uh, other side of the page, they are free to serve and be obedient. Now I have Galatians five thirteen through 17. Uh, for you, brethren, have been called to liberty, to freedom. Uh, this verse is used improperly so often. Well, I have freedom in Christ. I can do anything. No, 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 you can't. Notice it says, only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, beware lest you be consumed by one another. I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust or the desires of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish." And of course, Romans chapter 7 talked about that whole thing. How about 1 John 3, 3? And everyone who has this hope in him, what hope? That when we see him, we're going to be like him because we're going to see him as he is. I read that verse earlier. Everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. So the eternal perspective, the person is free to serve and be obedient. And then, of course, according to John 15, verses 4 and 5, they are fruitful. Notice what it says. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. Um, You know, for years, the what does he mean, abide in me? Well, yeah, I'm connected to him because, you know, I'm saved and all that kind of stuff. But the reality is, is the vine is the source of life for the branch. It is his life flowing through the branch that allows the branch to bring forth leaves and fruit, flowers that bud, and ultimately through pollination bring forth fruit. And so the person with the eternal perspective recognizes that Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 apply to everyday life. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him, 
and he will direct your path. And so the eternal perspective allows us to, in humility, recognize our need for him, and therefore his life flows through us as we walk in the Spirit. We are fruitful. And so, of course, that brings forth the idea of our life here. How about our rewards here? We are rewarded according to the things done in the body, 2 Corinthians 5.10, in the future. Uh, but that, what, are we gonna, what determines how we live here? Are you tied to this world, or do you have the eternal perspective? Okay? So uh, in 2 Corinthians 5.10, it says, and I believe that one's over here. Uh, I totally blew that one. Well, you know what it says. We're all going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ and give an account for the things done in this body, whether they be good or bad. And sometimes, again, we... We're a little shallow in our thinking, and we think good is, well, I teach a Sunday school class. Bad is, well, you know, I sinned last week. No, 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 no. Has nothing to do with it. Notice, good. That done in the power of the Spirit for the glory of God. That done because we're abiding in Christ. His words are abiding in us. The life of God is flowing through us, and we do that which He wants us to do. That is good. But bad, that done in one's own strength, according to one's own motivation, for one's own reward. You know, I was out here pruning all these bushes out here, and none of you noticed how good of a job I did. You can tell me now. I did miss a spot. <laughs> See, when, when you have to draw attention to you, uh, that's bad. And instead, you're humble. I'm serving the Lord. No one noticed. Big wheel. Doesn't matter. Okay? That's the idea there. So our rewards there uh, come because of that. And of course, that brings us to the proof of glory in 17D. If indeed we suffer with him. Oh, there's that word again. Who wants to suffer? That should be a new uh, reality show. (laughs) <laughs> for Christians only, mind you. Um, and notice, if indeed we suffer with him, again, the word if, as in the beginning of our passage or in the beginning of our verse, uh, it connotes actuality. It's better translated because or in as much. And if you remember how I, I read it here, seeing that we suffer with him. It, he doesn't use if in this translation. He's saying suffering is a part of the Christian life. It's going to happen irregardless of who's president, what's going on. So let's talk about that. Well, notice we suffer with him. Uh, Acts 14.22 says, Strengthening the souls of the disciples, exhorting them to continue in the faith, and saying, We must through many tribulations enter the kingdom of God. Ooh. Philippians 1.29, For to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. 2 Timothy 2, 11 and 12. This is a faithful saying. For if we died with him, we shall also live with him. If we endure, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. The idea of enduring, suffering. Okay? Uh, So we see here, first of all, uh, Jesus closed the Beatitudes with a promise of blessing. What did he say? He said, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. For for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now, when we think of suffering so often, we think about persecution. Okay, And that obviously is one way in which we can suffer. But notice, in context, suffering would include the struggle with sin in this body. Starting in Romans chapter 7, verse 15, all the way through 8, 13. It's talking about the struggle, you know, the things I want to do, those are the things I don't do. The things that I hate, those are the things that I do. That It's not me, the new man, it's sin that dwells in me. 
Okay, this is a struggle. And then, of course, there's no condemnation for them that are in Christ Jesus. But the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus delivers me from the law of sin and death. And then it talks about two different kinds of people, those who walk according to the flesh, those who walk according to the spirit. And it nails it down for us in about verse nine. But you're not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of Christ dwells in you. Anyone who doesn't have the spirit of Christ, they're not saved. Okay, and then in verse 13, but if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the flesh, you will live. So context, we're only in verse 17, is closer to the daily struggle that we have with our own passions and lusts and sin that still dwells in us. Okay, that doesn't mean that persecution isn't part of the suffering. Okay, notice the next passage here. Um, as well as suffering persecution, chapter 8 and verse 35 says, Who can separate us from the love of Christ? Can affliction or anguish or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? And we'll get to that passage when we get there. Uh, Matthew 10, 24 and 25. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for a disciple that he be like his teacher and a servant like his master. If they called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more will they call those of his household? And then 2 Timothy three twelve. Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. The world is not our friend. Okay? And the more we live for Christ, the more they're going to recognize that we're not theirs. And it's not that we're not friendly. It's they hate us because light shines in the darkness. Ooh. Okay? So uh, notice ridicule, mockery, scorn, brought on because of association with Christ. And we can receive that affliction as divine proof that we truly belong to Christ and that our hope of heavenly glory is not in vain. I've done street evangelism in New York City, Manhattan, Brooklyn, the Bronx, etc. And I can tell you that uh, not everybody appreciates you just preaching the gospel. Talking to people about the love of God, uh, the fact that he sent his son to die for our sins. That's enough to get you spit on. And depending on how mean they want to be, maybe get beat up a little bit. Uh, we didn't go into particular parks and preach against that particular sin like some people do. I'm not sure that's persecution as much as being silly. Uh, but when you're preaching the gospel, yeah, uh, people will show you they don't necessarily have an appreciation uh, for that. Number two, that we may also be glorified together. Suffering here is used by God to establish, strengthen, and confirm us. Romans uh, 5, 3 through 5. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, perseverance, character, character, hope, now, hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Or 1 Peter 5.10, But may the God of all grace who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a little while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. Uh, suffering is much like weightlifting. The more you do it, the more you're able to do. Okay, because it it causes those muscles to to tear, and then as they grow back, they they it's not that they double in size, but they get bigger, and they're able to handle more, and that's the idea here. Okay, uh, and then of course suffering here also brings future glory. Matthew twenty twenty one to twenty three, and he said to her, "What do you wish?" She said to him, "Grant that these two sons of mine may sit." one at your right hand and the other at your left in your kingdom. But Jesus answered and said, you do not know what you ask. Are you able to drink of the cup that I'm about to drink and be baptized with the baptism that I'm, uh, I am baptized with? And they, James and John, said, we are able. So he said to them, you will indeed drink my cup and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with, but to sit on my right hand and on my left hand is not mine to give, but it is for those for whom it is prepared 
by my father. So who was the first uh, apostle to die a martyr's death? It was James, uh, apostle. <laughs> okay. Um, who was the last one to die? Not even sure he died a martyr's death. John. The two brothers that mom came and said, hey, let my boys sit on your right and your left. Well, I don't know. You don't, you don't understand what you're asking for. To have that kind of glory means you're going to suffer that much more. Uh, 2 Corinthians 4.17, For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Now, think about that the next time someone's driving down 159 at 35 miles an hour when they should be doing 45. Okay, Lord, I'm enduring. Uh, because there's an eternal way to glory as you learn that lesson. Now, I know I'm talking to me, but maybe some of you are like me. <laughs> okay, so that brings us to verse 18, the comparison of glory. He says, for I consider, there's that word again, legizomai, to take an inventory, to estimate, to conclude, uh, to esteem, to uh, number, to reason, to reckon. Uh, he's used that word a lot in the book of Romans. This is not a suggestion, but a strong affirmation that he's about to bring here. Uh, that the sufferings of this present time, the word sufferings here is pathema, something undergone, a hardship or pain, an emotion or influence, an affection, affliction, motion, suffering. It is used for both Christ's sufferings and the believers. So when we talk about our suffering, it's the same thing that Christ went through. And of course, he's our example of how to go through it. Uh, the suffering of true faith brings glory. First Peter 1, 6 and 7. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. <clears throat> So once again, the suffering of true faith brings glory. Notice that the sufferings of this present time, the idea is what you're going through in life. Again, whether it's driving down 159 and some slow poke is in your lane when you ought to be in the right lane, you know how that goes. Uh, or you're actually suffering for your faith because someone doesn't like you. You're not getting the advancement at your job because, well, you're a Christian and, and we don't like Christians. Whatever the case may be, uh, those are all in this life. So that's where the suffering happens. Number three, those sufferings are not, to be, uh, are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Imagine that. Someday we see, we see Christ and everything that we've gone through it's not even worth talking about. You know, it's not unlike a woman who gives birth in the sense that there she is. I can remember Lynn squeezing my hand and she complains about my sausage fingers, okay? But she's squeezing this hand and it's coming, mm, man, that, that little girl can squeeze. But why is she doing that? Because the pain of those contractions. And then after the baby's born, what does she remember? Yeah, I'm pretty sure it hurt, but, you know, it doesn't matter now. Look at what I got. See what I'm saying? That's the same idea here. Uh, the word uh, not worthy, well, worthy is axios, uh, deserving, comparable, uh, or suitable, uh, due reward, or unworthy, uh, and the picture of those that are glorified. Even in the Old Testament, Daniel chapter 12, those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the firmament. I don't think it's talking about the glare off our bald heads. Okay? Well, your, my bald head. Um, and those who turn many to righteousness, they're going to shine like the stars forever and ever. Matthew 13, 43, Then the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their Father. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Or 1 Corinthians 15, 41 through 44, There is one glory of the sun another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars. For one star differs from another star in glory. So also is the resurrection of the dead. 
The body is sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. And it is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. But again, the glories that, I mean, the sufferings that we're going through now in the natural body, not to be compared with the glory of the spiritual body that we will have when that time comes. So in the meantime, we recognize if you're a child of God, you've been adopted, your sins are forgiven, you're in a relationship with him that cannot be uh, disturbed. We've already seen that even though we haven't gotten to the end of chapter 8. And the Spirit of God lives in you. You're uh, an heir of that which belongs to God. Is there anything that doesn't belong to him? You're a co-heir with Jesus Christ because he's the inheritor of all, okay? And the things that we're going through now are part of maybe making what we get when we get there just that much better. Hmm. Things to think about this week as you are going through whatever it is you're going through. Uh, Again, getting back to that concept of a healthy body. Uh, My wife uh, struggled with... uh, sports-induced asthma as a kid. Most she ever had was an inhaler. Uh, That was the worst it ever got. Uh, This year, uh, who knows why, but all of a sudden she's struggling with asthma to the point where she has to have the breathing machine and two different kinds of inhalers and Flonase and this and that and so on and so on and so forth. Uh, Today she's suffering a little bit. You can pray for her. She's okay, but not doing as well as she was two days ago, you know, that kind of thing. Um, and I, I'm only bringing that up because that's part of what we go through now. How do we handle it? Our eternal perspective helps us understand this body, this isn't the one I'm going to be in forever. And I'm looking forward to being with him because then all that bothers this body, I'm not going to bother that body. Okay? Because I'm part of the family, I'm an heir. There's an inheritance. God is my inheritance, as well as a new body and all those other kinds of things. Okay, any questions, thoughts? Excellent. Clear as mud. Let's pray and we'll let you go. Father, as we uh, close our time together, we thank you for your word. Thank you for the promises that we have for the future and our hope of those things being, uh, being the truth is found in who you are and what Christ has done, not in anything that we can do. We thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ who became a man to live that perfect life that none of us could live and then to die to pay for the sins that we deserve the punishment of hell for, but he paid for it all and then rose again and gave to us eternal life. Give us grace to shine as lights in the midst of a dark and perverse generation that people may see Christ in us, knowing that it's not about whether or not they like it. It is about you receiving glory because of the way we live. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.